So ready? Yeah. Eight, nine, seven. Oh, you sucker! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just your job. No, 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 no. That's okay. Let's do another. That one little patch looks sexy, though. Does it look good? Yeah, it looks really good. Ooh. It looks mantastic. Okay. Wow, I didn't expect that at all. I really didn't expect that. You got it. Wow. The first one's the only one that hurts. Yeah, well, those hairs are pretty deep. Okay. You ready? Yep. Itch. Me. Suck a motherfucker! You shit at Oh, I hate you. I hate you so much. You. That one hurt. That one hurt just as much as the first one. That's great, man. Man. One, two, three. Fuck ah! <laughs> me in the asshole! Wowee, that! I'm sorry. I really don't swear this much. Okay, you know what? You know, I got a weak stomach. That's all I can really take. All right, I'll see y'all. Jay, Jay, be tough, Andy. You got it. Where did Jay go? He went to throw up. <laughs> Ready? Yep. One, two. Oh, oh. Cocksucker, mother. You pulled on two! Why did you pull on three? Sweetie Pie Hulk! Come on, Siyama! No! Kelly Clarkson! Three. Y'all done or y'all? Oh, that's fucked up. Oh, that's fucked up. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Drive-In Double Feature. This is episode two. Uh, looking forward to this one. Actually, this is this is one that uh, this, this particular uh, episode and topic I'm excited for because uh, it's profile, a guy that I've been looking forward to talking about for quite some time. Um, but Ben, episode two, we actually just uh, announced that the podcast is going to happen tomorrow morning. Uh, first episode drops. What are you, what have you been doing? Uh, what have I been doing? I've been trying to catch up on the topic that we're going to be doing today <laughs> for this podcast. Cause some of these, uh, films that he's been a part of, I've not seen in a long time, or maybe sometimes I catch catch a bit part of it, like on comedy central for like the last 30 minutes or something like that. So really I've been trying to catch up on, on this week's topic, which, it's quite a bit of stuff we have to get through, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, so we're talking about Judd Apatow this week. Um, I, I think I'm just excited about it because looking back, and we'd had this conversation before we got started recording, but looking back at some of the films that he's done, um, to actually see the ones that he's had a hand, hand in writing and directing, more of a hand outside of producing, the, the list is not that long. Um, but no. for the most part, the the movies that do fall into that category are – pretty well received um there's a couple in there that are kind of not so hot but um when you look at a director or somebody you know who writes and directs you don't see this many recognizable films in such a short yeah. amount of time um outside of your you know your scorseses and and everybody along those lines which i'm not going to go 
out and say Apatow's on that level. Um, but you know what? Maybe in comedy, he uh, he's made his mark. I, I think what we're going to, I mean, I kind of go along with what you say. I think what we're going to figure out by the time we're done with this episode of the podcast is he's probably in the past 10 to 15 years has become probably the most bankable comedic director. I'd agree. Maybe, maybe since like Ivan Reitman. Well, I think that uh, his his name being attached to something, we're going to talk about this, yeah. but not just the things that he's written and directed, but being in, involved as a producer, um, just being in the process and having his his name attached seems to be, uh, in most cases, a godsend. Um, he's got a yeah. lot of very, very well-received comedies over the past 20 years. Yeah, I mean, his his list, like you said, if it's directing, writing, or producing, or executive producing, he knows how to pick the winners i guess not to say that everyone's got the best reviews or the best cast or whatever but he tends to be attached to these films that are just either very popular uh, make a lot of money have a lot of big stars in it or all the above yeah so i mean i don't i mean like i said i think by the time we're done with this podcast we're going to be like yeah he's probably the most bankable director writer in one of the top five in the last 15 20 years Oh, I think so. I think easily. Um, so what we're looking at today is we're going to place a focus on the films that he, that Judd Apatow uh, wrote and directed, um, or at least had a heavier hand in the process. So um, there are a handful of films that we're going to talk about today that he did not direct, uh, but he did write for. And so we'll, we'll kind of throw those into the conversation. Um, but we'll also, we're going to, we're going to give some attention to his television work um, and some of the films that he had a hand in producing. Um, but our, our major timeline that we're going to try to do, at least with the, the profile aspect of our podcast today, is going to focus on those writing, directing films. And you know what? I, I want people to keep in mind as they're listening to us talk about these films is really, as you're thinking about these films or replaying them in your head, think about also the careers that he's launched. I mean, he made Steve Carell into a, a, a film star. He's made Seth Rogen into a film star. Jonah Hill got his start with his movies. Amy Schumer was mm -hmm. not really, I feel like there are a lot of people thought she was not made for film and she, her, her movie train wreck did a, did a lot of money and was really well received. Yeah. So as we do these movies, just think about all the people that have been in these movies and how now are like the comedy uh, uh, godfathers of, of the Hollywood right now. It almost reminds me his group that he works with um, has a very, uh, and honestly, it's kind of funny because this, these two groups overlap a little bit, but it's like that Sandler grouping um, yeah. where you see the same people working together, um, yeah, those get, even in suck. a cameo. Oh, <laughs> I mean, how I mean, many grown-up grown movies do we need? I mean, we get no, I'm, I'm not a fan of the grown-up movies, but I got to say his group of buddies that he worked with, um, you know, the, uh, the Big the, Daddy. The, yeah, the Rocks, the, the Chris Rocks, the Dave, yeah. David Spades, the, yeah. Well, and I'm saying too, like his friends that were, um, for instance, his, uh, Alan, the guy who that, played, uh, I can't remember the name of him because you got the guy with, and I'm going to see if I can find him. Um, but the guy who has like the, the lazy eye, yeah. he's in every Adam Sandler movie. Like you've got um, the guy who was in Grandma's Boy, I, which I Alan, his name's Alan something. Damn it. Let's see here. Um, Alan Covert. Yeah, Alan Covert, and then the other buddy was uh, Dante. Yep, 
Peter Dante, Nick Swartz, yeah. and that group of guys. Um, it's very similar uh, that you see a lot of Apatow guys that, and, and it's, we'll talk about this. It all started um, in early, in the late nineties with, uh, with freaks and geeks. So we'll, we'll hold off on that for a little bit. Cause we'll, we'll have a good little segue later on. Um, but all right. So, so Judd Apatow's film directing debut doesn't come until uh, 2005, but 10 years before that he, he had involvement. He wrote uh, heavyweights. So, yeah. You know, if you haven't seen Heavyweights, Which, you haven't lived a childhood. Yeah, and you clearly need to watch it for prime Ben Stiller. Ben prime Stiller ben makes Stiller. that movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Heavyweights in 1995, his first writing gig. I mean, I, I will say, I don't think the movie holds up as far as no, I mean, when it was, but the nostalgia bit, hits hard. Yeah, it, it would be a little bit culturally sensitive right now. I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, Fat well, Camp and... Uh, yeah, the, and it's surprising because it's a Disney movie. So you really wouldn't see it come out today, um, at least not from Disney. But I think that yeah. for me, the, the part that you hit it on the head, Ben Stiller's uh, performance, it's funny as hell. It's a great I mean, it, it, it is a pre-Dodgeball. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Dwight. I mean, it is, yeah, Dwight. It's a pre-Dwight. Yeah, it's, he, it's his Dodgeball character almost to a T um, without the mustache. And I, you know... Um, it's a it's an awesome movie for nostalgia. I I had not realized um, until a few years ago that he actually was involved. You know, and this is you kind of can start to see some of the jokes. Um, you've got the guy, the kid who played Goldberg in the Mighty Ducks movies. He's in it. You got you know your who's who of your '90s um, yeah. actors. You know, in yeah. there. So um, yeah, I mean, Heavyweights was a was a good start. But again, like I said, he didn't start. He didn't actually debut his, his directorially until 2005. And I must say that we did we did discuss this last week. But the reason why we're actually profiling Judd Apatow is because in 2005, uh, 40 Year Old Virgin came out, and it's the 15th year anniversary coming up um, in August, right? Yeah. September, August. First week um, of August. So actually, here probably once this comes out, um, we we definitely planned that perfectly, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, so 2005, 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, I mean, let's spend some time with this one because this is the Real reason cool. why we're doing the show. Can I give you three uh, producing things that I just find impl- important to his career? Yeah. So he produced the stand-up comedy, uh, Jim Carrey's stand-up comedy in 1990, which allowed him to get on The Living Color. Um, then he produced uh, The Cable Guy with Jim Carrey, which I think is one of the most dark underrated comedies in the last 20 years 30 yeah, cable, years cable guy get, did not do well in films it actually no. bombed hard uh, and then when it came out on on vhs people started watching it again and realized that it was actually a very well written and the performances by broderick and um and especially jim carrey were were very well directed and it was yeah. just a good movie and how much that plays into our society now i mean oh yeah absolutely uh and then uh, he also, of course, one of my favorite freaks and geeks. So I don't know how you could, that could only be on for like two seasons. And that was just ahead of its time. Cause you had James Franco, you had Seth Rogen in it, uh, Linda Cardellini. Well, and he didn't just produce that. He wrote and directed. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we'll talk about that. I was going to hold off until okay. and to talk about freaks and geeks until we get to knocked up. Cause that's where you start to see um, a lot of the, the repetition with some of the characters um, or some of the actors, but yeah, absolutely. It wasn't, he didn't just go off the map for 10 years between 95 and 2005. 
Um, he was very involved in television and actually, yeah. um, you know, he got involved with The Critic, which if you guys are not familiar with, The Critic uh, was John Lovitz. It was an animated uh, sitcom. It was revolving around the film critic, Jay Sherman, which actually, um, you know, would see a, a couple, uh, well, one in particular, I, think, I don't know if he came on more than once, but a guest animated appearance on The Simpsons, which actually in 2015, Apatow uh, wrote an episode of The Simpsons. So the guy's been all over television. He's been all over film. Um, but in those 10 years, yeah, absolutely. He was involved with Freaks and Geeks, Undeclared. Um, and we'll talk about those two a little, a little bit later. Um, as what somebody said, might have been the best two single seasons uh, of television uh, ever. You know, single season show. They don't happen yeah. very often that they're done well. So, um, And then you go and look and see who's all in that show. And it's like, well, shit, oh, no. in, in five, six years, they're all going to be at Hollywood. Oh, all of them yeah. ahead of their time. Very, very well put together ensemble. Uh, the 40-Year-Old Virgin, I have to say, for me, the, the aspect of this that hits the hardest is I remember um, going into my, uh, my college dorm and – at the time, when I first went to college, I was dating somebody who um, worked at a movie theater. So I was always getting their old movie posters. Um, I, I had movie posters all over my house in my basement, um, took a bunch of them, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, you know, what movie posters would be good for a college dorm? And half of them are Apatow posters, but I had the original, uh, and I think I have it somewhere around here still, uh, the 40-year-old virgin uh, bright orange uh, movie poster. And, and so not only that, but this movie is probably, I mean, if I were to make a top five comedies, um, 40 old virgins probably on my list. Um, it was the very first and probably the last, I don't know if I've done this since one of the first movies, uh, that I went and paid money multiple times to see in theaters. It was so funny that I had to go see it again with other friends. Cause I'm like, you have to go see this movie. Um, absolutely. A, one of my favorites, just, I was pissing myself i'm laughing so hard throughout the the movie i mean it starts at the very beginning yeah i mean and the one of the things that like endures me to that movie is is like with steve carell you know it's not the steve carell that we would later become known with with the office it's Mm -hmm. a more sweeter genuine steve carell Mm -hmm. um in this movie i don't know if the movie was done as well if he because you know after after he does Michael Scott in the office. I feel like a couple of films that he did afterwards was kind of his character was kind of Michael Scott esque, you know, kind of a a dumbass but endearing. In Forty Year Old Virgin, he's just the sweetest guy that's looking to, you know, lose his cherry, and and you have a a, ca- a wonderful cast. I mean, if you look at all the people that are in his in his cast, there are people that are going to be in multiple Judd Apatow movies. Yeah, and I mean, if it's it's all started when um, Steve Carell worked with Judd Apatow um, on the uh, the first Anchorman um, yeah. when he played Brick. Um, that was the first movie that he starred in. Essentially, um, he had done work with The Daily Show, and so the familiarity between John Stewart and Judd Apatow kind of helped with that. Um, but as soon as he'd worked with him on uh, on Anchorman, he knew he wanted to work with him on his own, and he wanted to give him a starring vehicle. Um, so this is kind of very early, like you said. Yeah. What Apatow does is he takes people that he sees comedic gold in, and he gives them a starring role. 
Um, he did it with Corel within Fortio Virgin. He, he does it throughout his entire career. Yeah, I think he almost also can be credited with, you know, I guess the resurgence of Paul Rudd, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he, he would give Paul Rudd a part in almost every one of his movies, um, whether it's producing or writing or directing it. I mean, he met him on Anchorman. He made it, he gave him his own movie and this is 40. Uh, he had a great part in um, 40 Old Virgin. So, I mean, he's, he does take these people. And it's like, okay, those Hollywood studios didn't give you a chance or that director didn't think you were a big enough star. I'm going to make you a star. Yeah. And I mean, and you look at all the people that he's worked with, they don't, they got to earn their way. Um, yeah. you, know, you, you see um, some of the, the, the people that he's worked with throughout his career. Um, Will Ferrell's been in a lot of his movies. Um, he, you know, you have a lot of recurring actors. Will Ferrell's, uh, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, uh, Jason Siegel. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it all stems from comfort and, and well, and his wife as well. Um, yeah. you know, Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann. Um, it's comfort. It's knowing that you can put any script in front of them and it works. And, um, you know, a lot of times as he's writing, I'm sure he's got people in mind when he goes to write them. And that helps because you're not trying to fill someone to a role. You already know their ability. You already know the, the character they're going to bring and it's got to help the writing process. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure he lets them improv a lot on set because there's that trust between a director writer and actor that he he gets and that's going to make a film more successful when you trust your actors and absolutely you know and, how to write for them and they know how to deliver your lines and the beginning well, of the podcast we actually heard one of those improv uh moments where uh the the waxing scene from 40 year old virgin um the vast majority of that was improv um the kelly clarkson line completely improv um, you know, you can see if you go back and watch the, the, the scene, the guys in the scene have no ability to keep their shit together. Everybody's laughing. You actually had some who had to leave the room because they were laughing so hard. Um, that wasn't scripted. Hey, leave the room. Cause you can't see it. Um, you know, you can't watch this. It's so it's too gruesome. No, they left the room because they were continuing to film and they couldn't keep a straight face. That yeah. it's absolutely I mean, it's, hilarious. Yeah. And I think that's a credit to his writing and his directing and his his uh, trusting of the cast. And I, I don't, I mean, to me, 40-Year-Old Virgin is a, a perfect comedy. Well, like, I, I, say, I, I don't find really many faults in it. No, I mean, you know, and this is something that will come up a lot throughout some of, you know, many of his films, is that a lot of the humor is uh, is at the expense of a group of people oftentimes. Um, and so you'll see some people that, you know, in, in the PC culture that we live in today who say, you know, oh, he's not aware of, or he's not, you know, keeping these kind of uh, jokes, you know, PC. Well, in certain situations, you can't, you know, if the people are upset yeah. with it, don't give the money to the film, don't watch it. Um, you know, there's certain right, things that are going to. Write a bad blog about it and then yeah. say your piece. Now, if, if they're doing it within the realm of the film, then, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a completely excusable, but it has a, a reason. People doing it outside of the film, uh, you know, I'm sure this will be a, a discussion for a later date, some, something such as what, you know, James Gunn had to deal with or was, was uh, being held accountable for with his Twitter um, posts years back. That's a little different, you know, rather than putting comedy and trying to get a reaction out of somebody in a purpose like that. Um, but again, that's something that you're going to see a lot of. Uh, throughout a lot of his films let's let's call this what is what this is it's a sex comedy 
but I, I mean, feel yeah. like this is, is this is a adult mature sex comedy. It's not like the American Pies that we've seen or the slew of sex comedies that came out in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, or even in the early 2000s. This is like a mature sex comedy. Well, and it's called it's, the 40 it's older version. adults. Yeah. You know, and the, the, the lead is not a, a, a Matthew McConaughey type. Mm-mm. The female love interest is not a young 20 something blonde, you know, actress. They're average adults. Like yeah. the, the, the best looking person on there is probably Paul Rudd. Well, yeah. And I, I think that <laughs> it's kind of funny that you say that because I was going to say one of my absolute favorite scenes from that is actually from one of the, uh, the lesser appealing uh, figures, uh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill's in that movie yeah. for probably what a minute, minute and a half. Um, he's yeah. the guy who wants to buy the fish boots. He wants to get them home and, you know, put them on. And it's, he doesn't even, it doesn't even look like he's acting. He just looks like the awkward kid they pulled off the street, but damn it. It's such a funny scene. Absolutely love that scene. Yeah. He came in and shot 23s in about a minute, two minute scene. I mean, he was, it was just perfect. Like it's like, do you want to do it again? Be like, nope, that was it. That was perfect. Yeah. Cut. But I mean, I just to me, it's 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 a perfect comedy. Yeah. I mean, I don't I, really. I would say oh. that if you're gonna put it in the uh, the realm of some of his other films, it was it was definitely going to be hard to follow it up um, because you know, and this is a good segue is 2005. He also came out with another movie. While he did not direct it, um, he did he did write it. Uh, fun with dick and jane um so starring jim carrey he worked with him before um now again he didn't direct fun with dick and jane but he was one of the main writers uh and i i could not i i can't put this one anywhere near the top um as far as the the films that he was involved with it was it was a bomb um i feel like this was kind of like the downward uh, slide that Jim Carrey started going through because I mean even though I, I really I kind of like that movie he did with Ewan McGregor um, oh I love, I love you, you Philip love Morris you, Phil. but like after this Dick and Jane movie it just kind of he started kind of go on a skid he like did Mr. Popper's Penguins and shit like that um, it's it, I, I don't know I just maybe a different person maybe if he directed it maybe I mean I don't know it's I mean the storyline itself is is not something that I think is very Apatow, which is ironic because he was one of two writers. So, you know, and that's something that we, we I'm sure if we dug deep enough, we may, might be able to find out which draft, if he had his final draft or he was just part of the initial. Or, or they just wanted him for jokes or. Yeah. And I mean, so I, I don't think that it would have changed much. Um, it's based on a, it's, you know, it's based on a book um, actually looking at it, um, trying to get a little bit of the storyline. Um, this screenplay, screenplay is written by him and Nicholas Stoller, um, who did direct Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So you've got people that are doing those kinds of films. It just was not quite his writing. And I don't know what the reason for that was, um, but it's just, it's not a good movie. Not a believable, no, not. Not a believable um, grouping. You know, your casting is, I mean, he... is okay, but yeah. I mean, he does have some, I mean, as far as I'm looking at his writing credits, he does have some, some shit stains. I mean, it's, it's, he he follows that up with Knocked Up, which we'll get into here probably in a second, but then he goes, don't mess with the Zohan. Yeah. And in the same year, he writes Pineapple Express. 
which one of these are not like the other? Yeah. Like, I mean, to me, Pineapple Express was hilarious and yeah, such it's... a well-crafted movie because you're like, it went in so many different directions and it had such a lot of heart in it. And then you have something where, you know, Adam Sandler's playing this Middle Eastern um, secret agent hairdresser. And it's like, well, oh, that's, okay. a, that's an Adam Sandler movie. You know, you look at, you, I'm sure we'll profile Sandler in some way. Maybe. I don't know. I actually, it's funny. We talk about this. I watched uncut gems today um, and absolutely loved it. You know, that's, that is not an Adam Sandler. I like movie. it. Yeah. Um, but when you look at all of the movies that he has made, there's probably about five or six that are really funny and really well done. Um, you know, throw uncut gems in there as, as good work. Um, you know, Zohan, it's just him putting out movies. He's just having fun with his friends. And I think a lot of people, you know, I don't want to get too off topic here, but a lot of people get really upset with Sandler for putting out crappy movies. Somebody's watching them and he's having fun making them and people are paying for that. You know, until people stop, you know, it was the Brett, it's the Brett Favre theory. Until someone stops paying you, you're going to keep doing it. Um, you know, and so I think that yeah. Sandler's is in that, that conversation. Um, but when you look at the years, so going back to Apatow, you know, and to stick back onto that, it's when he took some time to put something out where you actually get a successful movie, I think. Um, I think a lot of what happened in 2005 with 40 Old Virgin had repercussions for the next few years. People wanted his name on as much as possible. Um, two years later, then Knocked Up. So we, we talked about Knocked Up before, um, but I, I will actually say... Um, that Knocked Up is one of Jordan's favorite Apatow movies. Um, loves it. You know, this is one of those that she absolutely thought was hilarious. And I agree. I think it's up there as, as one of the, the better ones as well. I'm going to quote the, the critic. It stinks. <laughs> I hate it. I, I don't like Knocked Up at all. You don't like it? Uh, I, I mean, I, there are parts of it that's funny. And there are definitely parts of it that I can relate to when we, me and my, my wife and I were going through our first child experiences um but i just i didn't i just i don't like Catherine heigl oh i i agree uh, but i don't think the i think movie, I, yeah i think they, there the, could have been five other actresses they could have picked to play her and have been better at it well um, i think a little bit of that's hollywood um i don't know if i think that there was probably a little bit of pressure from from the from the outside for him to get somebody that wasn't someone like his wife, um, somebody who is a well-known actress, somebody who might believably be completely out of Seth Rogen's league for it to actually be believable um, because, what's that? Oh yeah, um, because I think that, I don't like Heigl either. I, I, you look at all of what she has done. I think that the only other movie that I thought was even watchable with her um, I'm thinking, and I'm not, and it's not, I don't even think it's her. Never mind. That was Reese Witherspoon. Because it doesn't exist. She's a TV actress. Yeah. It worked on Grey's yeah. Anatomy, and then they they lopped her in with Twenty Seven Dresses, and that was a that was a success as far as you know your your chick flicks go, and and then people just believed her to be amazing. She's not good. But no, I. The ensemble I mean, around her, I think, is what makes it up. For yeah. Her. Yeah, the ensemble was it was good. I, I think my probably if I had to pick a favorite part of that movie is when uh, him, Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd's characters went out to Vegas and they had all them shrooms. They took all those shrooms and they went and saw like Blue Band Group or some shit or Cirque du Soleil. 
and they were just tripping on shrooms the whole time. I, that was probably my favorite part of the movie. I just didn't enjoy it. Well, I, I mean, just, the chairs, uh, there are too many chairs in this room. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, for me, I think it's, it was a breakout performance for Seth Rogen. Um, I think without Knocked Up, you do not get the, the follow-ups because I think for him, it made him a believable leading man. Um, I'm trying to go back and look to see what he had done before that um, or after. Um, I mean, yeah, outside of he was in Donnie Darko. We all know that as the little cameo of the, the bully, you know, one of the, the bully kids. Um, he was apparently an anchor man. I don't remember. Him. Oh, he was um, the cameraman. Um, 40 Old Virgin, You, Me, and Dupree, and then Knocked Up. Um, so this was his opportunity, first opportunity to actually uh, be a leading man. And I think that for me, the reason why I like Knocked Up so much is I love yeah. Seth Rogen. But what did he do right after that? What was his last thing that he did? The next, the next, right, thing, what, the next so thing. after Knocked yeah. Up, um, he voiced an actor, voiced a character in Shrek the Third. Um, and then he was in Superbad. Um, I mean, he didn't have a major, his next major role. Um, was Pineapple Express. Yeah. Well, I mean, Horton Hears a Who. Um, I mean. No, he was, I, never mind. He wasn't. That was I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to agree with you. I just think, I think what got him to be who he is, is the smaller parts that he took in movies. I mean, Knocked Up was a big platform for him, and he, I think he did really well in Knocked Up. It was very funny. Um, I just think, like, the parts in, like, Pine, or, uh, you know, the parts in Superbad and Observe and Report and just these smaller things, I just, I don't know, I thought he did better at that. But Well, Observe know, maybe and Report, I, maybe he's I'm, the lead in Observe and Report. Maybe I'm just too tainted by how much Catherine Heigl bothered me in it. Maybe that's, I mean, that's... so to, let me, I'm looking up here. So I know Rotten Tomatoes doesn't always matter, um, but of, of all of Seth Rogen's movies, um, which, what do you think got the highest rating? The ones, and I will say, ones where he was more than a cameo. So of all of his movies that he's a leading guy. You're probably going to say knocked up. That's not knocked up. It's 50-50 with him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But, because that was a much better movie. But, knocked up. I also, I also enjoyed the... Okay, so so is that, what, is that second? Yeah. What was, what is Twas the Night? Oh, the night before? Yeah, the night before. 67. It's, oh, it's damn. funny, I it's really not good. That for some, yeah. <laughs> no, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. Oh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's funny. But, I mean, look at, knocked up okay. even had a better... Uh, overall Rotten Tomatoes than 40-Year-Old Virgin by 5%. That's, I mean, again, I'm not, not uh, Rotten Tomatoes is not the end-all be-all, but I no. think that, I mean, it, it gets things right more often than not. Okay. But I, I don't know. I, we could, we could probably go on forever, but um, no, I think I, I'll go out and say, I don't think that you get Pineapple Express without Knocked Up. Okay. I know you're probably right. Probably right. Damn you and your research. What the hell your rock um, tomatoes bullshit 
so also too, I don't think I don't think you get a knocked up without freaks and geeks. And this is where I wanted to talk about that because um, this is where you know in his second film you start to see some continuity of actors, not characters, or you know sometimes maybe types of characters. Um, but this is where you start to you know I think where people if they hadn't been around for freaks and geeks when it originally aired, they're hearing about Seth Rogen, they're hearing about uh, you know James Franco and all these other actors who are you know, smaller, you know, up and coming people. And they're like, wait, hold on. They were in a TV show. And then you start to connect the dots and see that it was Judd Apatow. Now I will say I was not, I did not watch the original Freaks and Geeks uh, when it was originally out. I did watch Undeclared, um, which I did enjoy, but um, I did have Freaks and Geeks on uh, DVD, which I still have. um, And I'll break it out occasionally, but I know you love Freaks and Geeks. And we're going to take a little bit of a pivot here to talk about it for a couple minutes. um, Because, Seth Rogen as a lead vehicle was not something that you, you, you saw even in Freaks and Geeks. His character was one of the guys in the side. And I think that, you know, I agree with you. Oftentimes, I think some of his better characters are not the lead roles. It's the side characters who get to come in for a few scenes, make some of the best yeah. jokes and leave. Uh, that was him in Freaks and Geeks. But, um, yeah. but not just Seth Rogen, but the series itself. What are your thoughts on Freaks and Geeks? You know, you can watch Freaks and Geeks and see bits and parts of all the movies that he's done now, right? You can see in each movie parts of that in Freaks and Geeks. You can see his ideas. You can see his comedy and his comedy type. Um, I mean, it's set in the 70s, correct? Yes. Right, it's set set in the 70s. Um, I wasn't alive in the 80s. It's the 90s. I'm going to double check here. I'm pretty sure. Um, It is set in. Oh, crap. Um, No, the 80s. It's the the year of 1980 to 1981. Okay. So that's basically the 70s still. Um, I mean. It's not, it's not uh, your, your disco 80s. Yeah. The clothing's still around and the music's still trying to change. Um, But I mean, I wasn't alive around then, but everything that has to do with the school, you could identify with is what I liked about it. He, he, to me for that series to how short it was, he wrote good dialogue for teenagers and how teenagers speak. I think that's what's so great about Superbad. Uh, I think that's what's so great about Pineapple Express when the drug lingo. Um, I mean, he just, he seems to have a knack for writing how people really talk, mm-hmm. you know? And, and everything that you saw in Freaks and Geeks, it's like, yeah, I've seen that in high school. I've seen that from, you know, and the fact that the show was kind of centered around multiple characters. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, I don't think it was, wasn't it Fox that had it? Fox. Yeah. Fox had it? it. And then also took on undeclared uh, a couple years after that. Yeah, Fox didn't know what the hell they were doing. I mean, uh, the series could have gone on for another five years, in my opinion. Well, and it's so um, weird because you don't usually see a single episode or a single season with that many episodes. I think it's like 22 episodes um, and they're like 45 yeah. minutes each. I mean, they, it ran the hour long uh, time block for a year and it was a long year. It's not one of those where now you see a, a pilot season getting six episodes. I mean, this was, this was dedication and it had a pretty strong following and it got even bigger after um the quote that i found was um we'll see if i can find it here um someone went on to say 
the USA Today uh, critics went on to say that these two shows, Undeclared and Freaks and Geeks, uh, were, were, quote, two of the most acclaimed TV series to ever only, to last only one season. Um, and I would agree. You usually do not see those types of shows last a season. If they're that good, they have a great following, they're getting two or three at least. Yeah. They, so. they were ahead of their time. And somebody asked me about Freaks and Geeks. I said it was ahead of its time. Uh, in the past decade, that would have been a number one show on any cable news network or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would have been it would have been big. It would have been something that Netflix would have made and oh, had multiple seasons. I mean, it was ahead of its time. And I think that he is just, he, the, the fault of it, whatever decision was made to cancel the series, it was, it was ahead of its time and they did not realize what kind of comedic genius that they had there to keep the series going, but it worked out for him. Right. I mean, Oh, absolutely. I mean, it got him, it got his, his foot in the door and it eventually got him to, to produce other, other works, got him working, you know, with Jason Siegel, who was in the, um, the original uh, episodes of um, Undeclared, oh, and the main character in Freaks and Geeks. It got him involved with, uh, with Jay Baruchel, uh, Seth Rogen. You know, you've got a good group of people that he was able to call on later in his career. Yeah. Um, so then he continues on. So after uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin um, and, uh, and knocked up his next... Um, well, sorry, I, I we'll go back. He did write for Walk Hard and You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Uh, we already talked about Zohan a little bit. Walk Hard, um, he wrote for, and that was the extent of his work with that one. Um, I enjoyed Walk Hard. Um, he did produce it too, but um, it's funny. It's definitely, if you go into it expecting anything more than a spoof of um, like music, uh, and you know, music bios, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, John, great John C. Riley. Oh, yeah. Like he don't get that was his vessel. He don't get vessels to, you know, to be to man himself. That he is he is the consistent sidekick. Oh, always, and he yeah. always will be because of Step Brothers. Um, yeah, you know, you always look at every or go single back, Ricky movie. Bobby. I mean, yeah, I mean, every single movie that Will Ferrell is in he needs a sidekick, John C. Riley, and a guarantee. I can guarantee you that he doesn't do it begrudgingly. It's probably some of the most fun he ever has. Hell, if I could be Will Ferrell's sidekick, making jokes yeah. and, and getting the number two, um, I would absolutely be that guy. Uh, but you're right. This was one of his only vehicles yeah. um, to be the, the lead. And he, he did a really good job with it. He, you know, he did his thing and had a hell of a voice. I, I remember he sang everything. And it was really funny yeah. to see um, all of the different types of, of things that he would sing in the different styles. But. Um, and then we get to Pineapple Express. So Pineapple Express is one that we need to kind of, um, I think, preface a bit. He did not direct it. Uh, he did not fully write it. He did write some of the storyline. So he's involved in the story, um, but he did produce it. So this is more Seth Rogen's baby than it is Apatow. But Apatow's involvement with it, I think, does help to shine a bit. For those who are kind of thinking, you know, is, is Rogan going to be a good director? Is he going to be somebody that we are going to enjoy those types of films with? The, the long-term answer is absolutely. But in that moment, I think Apatow's involvement helped the, the movie get that push. Yeah. There, this was uh, directed by David uh, Gordon Green, who is Seth Rogen's writing partner, who is also partners with Danny McBride, um, which who was also in this movie. I feel like he kind of stole the movie a little bit. Is um, this his first? Is this 
like not ever, but I think this was no. his... 2008. It was right around the time that he was, I think, getting ready to do. He had I think been sh- shortly after this. I mean, I'm doing... going through. I'm going through his filmography. The first movie that he actually had a a role in um, for me that I have recognition with is Hot Rod. He was one of the sidekick buddies in yeah. Hot Rod. But then he had an uncredited extra in Superbad. Um, he was in the Heartbreak Kid as a little small role, Drillbit Taylor, small role, and then Pineapple Express. So, and then right after this, Rod, yeah, right after this, he did uh, down, Eastbound and Down. Uh, yeah. So, well, and he's gone on to be an, uh, an HBO darling. I mean, he's yeah. got three or four uh, series for them. That, Vice you know, Principles, fantastic. Righteous um, Gemstones, yeah, fantastic. I was going to say, if you haven't watched Righteous Gemstones, go out and watch that. It if, is hilarious. If you're a, if you're a teacher and you haven't watched vice principles, Oh my God, <laughs> like everything yeah. that shows like uh, that speaks to, to uh, people in the school system. Absolutely. Um, so of course him and, and David, uh, the director of, of pineapple express, David Gordon green, both him and McBride are ones that wrote the new Halloween stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, so it's, they're like, I think this goes back to what you were saying. These, these are all, this is Judd Apatow's, commune of actors and writers and performers you know like they all work they it's like it must be the best feeling in the world to just get to work with all your friends well i think it's funny is that you start to look at it and we're we're noticing um you know you're you're a sports fan so you'll get this reference but the coaching tree the coaching tree under judd apatow is is incredible and granted he's not at the top of that grant you know he got his his kicks in from somebody working under somebody else but the actors and directors and producers that have spawned from his, his babies, his, you know, his projects, they've gone on to do more and more. So it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, and I'd be, I'd be curious to see what that actually looks like, but again, pineapple express doesn't happen without knocked up. Um, but I think that you see pineapple express and then from then it even gets bigger, you know, all of the things that come after that, the types of movies, the, um, the movies that he gets involved with uh, and the actors, you know, this is the just, end, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I just, are you, are you trying to protect Jordan's feelings of how much she loves knocked up by? No, I genuinely <laughs> love knocked up. Relating everything back to knocked up. Like, I mean, you know, I think I look back at knocked up and it's one of those that I think gets overshadowed by 40 year old virgin because it was the second movie. I think, but I think I, well, it's I think, probably yeah, it's, it's, it's up. It's the there. middle shot. It's, it's the middle child. I mean, you look what came first with 40 year old virgin and you look what comes later with pineapple express. Like as far as like Seth Rogen, if we're on this thing of Judd Apatow, mm-hmm. Seth Rogen, you look at what becomes in between and it's like, well, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the Jan of movies. It always gets overlooked. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at, if you're going to go out and do a, a bio or a profile on, on Seth Rogen, you're going to focus more on pineapple express. That's going to be the jumping off point. But I've, I just, I genuinely don't think you get that without the the success of Knocked Up. Because, I mean, Knocked Up actually, I think, benefited from, from uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin's success. And so more people went to see that thinking, I know I did. I mean, two years later, I saw another movie uh, directed by the same guy who did 40-Year-Old Virgin. And I'm like, sign me up. I was there instantly. Um, you know, and, and then it takes another two years for him to actually direct a movie. Um, but, you know, his involvement with when they say you know, produced by the same guy who did Knocked Up and Four Old Virgin, and then you get Pineapple Express. Um, 
I think people had their, I mean, Rogan himself even goes into interviews saying we made a movie about a pot dealer and they never thought Pineapple Express would have existed. They did not believe that it would have had any success or actually gotten greenlit. Does that get greenlit today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it the same story word for word? Probably not. I mean, there's, it's 13 years ago or no, not 13, um, 12 years ago. Um, but I think that it's still, I mean, you get some pretty raunchy, you know, dumb comedies that come out that have some success. Um, yeah, I, I think it gets made today. I don't know if okay. it's as well received. Yeah. Because I think that those two, in the 2000s, you got a lot of those movies that came out that, you know, the Hangover, you know, that kind of movie that is just raunchy, make you laugh because they went there kind of humor, uh, but still really good writing at the same time. And I think that, yeah. You, you take that 10 years uh, forward in the future, put it in nowadays. I think people think it's funny, but I don't think that there's a desire for that. Not with the streaming services, putting everything out there that, that you'd want. But. Yeah. And, you know, it's, if we were to do that now, it's like I imagine the headlines being Judd Apatow signs a 10 picture deal with Netflix or, yeah. you know, Hulu or Adam something Sandler like that. Esque. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's move on with funny people. Um, I, you had said Freaks and Geeks was ahead of its time. I think Funny People was ahead of its time. Um, it, for me, it was the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. I did not like it. I thought it was too long. Um, one of the first times I ever sat in a movie, sat in a theater in a comedy and was looking at my watch saying like, how long is this? It was over two hours, about two, two hours, 20 minutes long. And yeah. for a comedy, that's a lot. Um, you oftentimes will see them sometimes pushing two hours, but hour and a half to hour 45 is usually what you see out of those kinds of comedies. Uh, but you go back is, and you uh, watch Judd it. Apatow's, it's Judd Apatow's The Irishman. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah, so I mean, long. Absolutely. It's but long. It's, if it's... you go back and you you listen to the dialogue and you go and you uh, you watch it and actually just sit and watch it. Don't, you know, I, I catch myself doing this all the time where I'm on, I'm on my phone playing a game or flipping through Facebook and I'll catch, you know, 85 to 90% of a movie. Uh, whereas I think if, if you want to sit down and appreciate funny people, you got to sit and watch it because the dialogue is fantastic. I think it's one of those times where I was, I was happy to see Adam Sandler in a movie again. Um, it was it's like a, a genuine, movie. yeah, it's a very yeah. genuine performance. Um, yeah. You know, he had his jokes here and there, but it wasn't one of those slapstick. It's not him doing his SNL uh, shtick. It's him acting and doing a really good job of it. So it was okay. It was okay. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I feel like it's a different character for Seth Rogen in it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the one that we were used to at that moment when it came out. Um, it's not, I guess it's not the same. I mean, I, I saw a lot of Adam Sandler himself within that character. Um, you know, I, I think back to when, you know, he used to do stand up mm -hmm. a lot more. Um, it was okay. It was, I mean, how many movies out there that you're going to be like, Oh, that was a fantastic funny movie. And it's about cancer. Yeah. Uh, not, not many, um, <laughs> you know, especially. I'll yeah, go out just... on a limb and say my favorite scene in that entire movie is the final scene when they're sitting at the, um, in the food court or whatever, in the, in, you know, just in the restaurant and they're just talking back and forth after they've had this huge falling out and fight um, Rogan and Sandler. And at the end, they're just telling jokes to each other. And it's just such a, it's a, a good way to go out because of the roller coaster that you've been through 
Um, like you said, it's a, it's a comedy about cancer. So how funny are you going to get? Um, but it ends up being just, you know, that's what they do. It's the reason why they do what they do is just to sit around and make people laugh. Um, so yeah. I thought that that's my favorite scene. And there's some pretty funny jokes again in, in that, the last, you know, two, three minutes. Yeah, it was okay. It was, uh, I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't, you know, it's okay. Well, moving on to 2012, uh, his next major film uh, that he is involved with is This is 40. Um, it, it, so there's three, mo- there, there's, uh, there's two back-to-back films, Funny People and This is 40, um, that he's involved with, and it is completely directing, producing, and writing. Um, this is 40 to me, um, something to kind of preface it. If you haven't seen it, it does um, spin off Knocked Up, has the same characters in it. Um, it's funny. I don't think it's as good as Knocked Up, um, depending on your audience. Um, I think that um, it kind of felt like Apatow was trying to get his wife and kids involved. So he's like, I'm going to write a movie about my wife and kids. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm i not throwing the uh, you're older than me card out there, but you probably look at this movie a little different from me because you're a little older and you do have kids. Uh, what are your thoughts on this is 40? Uh, well, I'm not 40 yet. So fuck you. Um, I didn't say you were 40. <laughs> I said you're older. <laughs> um, I don't know. I kind of like, I am a big Paul Rudd fan. I like Paul Rudd. Um, but to me, this is, should have been like subtitled white people problems. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just like they have a, they have two beautiful children. He has a beautiful wife. They live in a great house. He has a, a fantastic job. I think he's like a, is he like a, music producer or something in it mm-hmm. um i just i don't know I, I i think he was trying to like i know no, we're probably going to get to this i think what he was trying to do what he did in in the king of staten island which what we were talking about before we started recording i think he was trying to do with this but i think it just missed the mark you know i yeah. think he was trying to make it real real and almost like a dramedy instead of a comedy and it's like, oh no, do your Paul Rudd shit. Do do that. Paul yeah, and, Rudd and honestly, too, I don't think you know. And I'm not. I, I'm not saying I disagree. I think um, this is this and Funny People is a shift. I think we're starting to see a shift in this point in his career where he's trying to be a little bit more serious and try to say, hey, I I don't just do a bunch of sex jokes and and weed jokes. He absolutely is trying to broaden his horizons. I think that you can't really do that though when you are literally spinning off a sex and weed joke movie um with just different characters you know you've got the same characters you've got that you know the sister um so you bring in characters that people loved in one movie and you can't just flip it around it's they were first seen and the the exposure was in knocked up so you're going to have that audience who expects it to be very similar to um and it was funny it's still a funny movie but i think it is just it just misses the mark um overall yeah, they, uh, maybe it would have done better if it would have came out a little bit sooner after the Knocked Up. Perhaps, you yeah. Know, like, there's a lot of time between that and Knocked Up. Maybe if it was a year or two later, it would have might have done better. But I, I don't know. I just, they tried, and it kind of missed the, on a couple of things Yeah, for me. And I will say, too, I think Leslie Mann's a great actress, but I don't think she is a, a leading um yeah. vehicle at least not in these she does better when she's the smaller roles like i mean uh, she was one of the most quotable people in 40 year old virgin yeah 
when she was drunk and had him blow in the breathalyzer test and other fucker came out of nowhere <laughs> like yeah her her character in 40 year old virgin was probably one of the, the show stealers yeah. um you know and so i i just yeah i i was not sold on this as 40 it's a funny movie you start to see like the growing up aspect of some of his um his yeah. audience and some of the, his actors in there but it's just it wasn't for we're me. gonna move we're going to move past dick and fart jokes and we're going to try to be a little bit more serious. And it just kind of, yeah, it's kind of missed it. Uh, so then he does continue to try to rein, uh, reinvent himself and continue to give new light to things in his next film, Trainwreck. Um, this is the first time he's really stepped away from that Rogan, Rudd, Carell group of people um, to yeah. Amy Schumer as the female lead. And pretty sure it's the first movie that he's directed, which had a female lead um, and not just like, yeah you know as the main character and not just one and, of a couple and of he, he did not write amy schumer wrote it amy True. schumer gets the screen credit yep. uh, credits he wanted her to uh infuse her comedy because you know like we were saying before you know amy schumer probably at that time was seen as a funny comedian but not necessarily hey can you can you lead a movie oh this is this is five years ago this is around the yeah. time where, where you had um the the controversy of you know girls aren't funny you know, that yeah. was around that time where people just didn't buy in, or, you know, I say people as in, you know, the, the a-holes of society were out and about saying girls can't make funny movies. Um, you know, you had a couple movies that flopped and, and gave fuel to the fire. And this was not one of those. Trainwreck yeah. did very well, actually. It was very funny. Like my wife and I went and saw this in the movie theater. It was surprisingly funny. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have the usual cast of characters it doesn't even have the usual supporting cast of characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have LeBron James. John Cena. <laughs> and John Cena. John Cena had one of the funniest parts. And as much as I hate John Cena, like, oh, yeah. he was very funny. I was going like, oh, fuck this guy. I ain't going to laugh. And his part was hilarious. Oh, yeah. And that's, again, Jeb Apatow taking these people and getting the funny out of them. Yeah. He was, I wasn't, when I was watching, I was like, well, he's not John. He's not being John Cena. That's John Cena, but he's playing a character that was hilarious. Well, and I will say he does have a little bit of, um, and again, this is not a movie that he directed, but super bad. Bill Hader did, um, did have a role in that um, as one of the cops alongside Seth Rogen. So he's got a little bit of a comfort there, but outside of that, and I mean, that's a stretch. Um, you know, the vast majority of the rest of that cast, uh, it's, it's not in that, that comfort zone. It's not those group of friends. Um, I, I would say this is probably the best romantic comedy in the past 20 years oh because it took every element and motif of romantic comedies yeah. and flipped them uh, yeah. i think people they made people, it raunchy people are tired like, of it yeah 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 it's it you know like some of his movies for me this movie didn't seem to drag as some parts of his movies seem to drag mm -hmm. um this was just it was funny the jokes were funny amy schumer was funny um and what also what i liked about it was this it, they're not these Matthew McConaughey and, and Kate Hudson, like yeah. how to lose a guy in 10 days couple where it's like, wow, they're going to have great looking children. I mean, it's Amy Schumer and Bill Hader and Bill Hader is probably a good looking guy. He's a little goofy looking. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's not your typical cast, which maybe probably like it any even more. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not usually a fan of Schumer, um, but I thought she did really well here. You know, and I think this was this was a funny movie. Um, yeah, very funny. You know, speaking of Schumer, I am interested in looking at uh, or watching her HBO special, um, which I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, but it's about her 
pregnancy, essentially. Um, let's see if I can find it. What was um, your uh, What was your favorite scene from this movie? Um, I, I you already said it, but I think yeah, the Cena scene. It's the one that whenever I think of this movie, that's what stands out to me. I my, my I think my favorite was when she <laughs> did the dance routine and went to go try the jump on the trampoline to slam, slam dunk the basketball. Oh. And she just went straight flat into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's just funny. so sudden. Yeah. It's funny. And it does. And it's like, we're going to make fun of ourselves Yeah, and we know who we are. We know what works and we're going to make fun of ourselves. And, and you know, it, it was good. And it's, oh. again, it's a refreshing to see a romantic comedy where you have a, it's a raunchy movie. It's very raunchy. Oh yeah, I mean a it's, lot of dirty it's in that same vein of yeah. an Apatow. But it's a female lead. Yeah, and she's not afraid to be raunchy and say dirty things. And then you got kind of Bill Hader, who's kind of like more of the stereotypical what you see in romantic comedies as the female lead. Yeah, he's not, your you know what I'm saying? He's your ingenue. I mean, yeah, he's, he's your, the one being pursued. Yeah. Um, the HBO Max series is uh, it's called Expecting Amy, and it's a three-part documentary about her her pregnancy. Very much one. I've been in a documentary kick for the last like seven years, so I'll definitely watch this. Um, but moving on, um, the next two that he involved with had himself involved with. I have no. I've never seen uh, May at Last, which is uh, a portrait of the Avett brothers. Um, and the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, um, both documentaries. Uh, he both uh, produced and directed, did not write, um, but. Well, I, I read, I listened to him. He was on a podcast with Mark Marin to promote that Gary Shandling documentary. Mm-hmm. And he, he wanted to do it because he, they were friends. He wrote on the Gary Shandling show. Yes, I do remember that. And, uh, and so when he, Gary Shandling passed away a few years ago, he uh, was like, this is going to be my, uh, pa-. he was talking about this was his passion project. So well, and it, it is HBO, so it might be actually, if I uh, want to take some time here, go watch it on HBO Max. Um, it says it's a two-parter um, on HBO. So uh, that'll be what I ask people to do. If you've seen the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, please uh, let us know what, they, how, what you thought of it, because uh, I haven't seen it. And I did not realize it was HBO, otherwise I probably would have watched it. Uh, but that does bring us to one that I did go out, and you actually did go out and watch beforehand. Yeah. Um, the most recent... Um, of the trifecta directing producing and writing of apatow and it's actually his most recent because it d- did just come out a few months ago um the king of staten island um you went into this now i'm gonna preface this we i don't know if this was actually on the recording last week but you went into this movie probably with low expectations because you hate pete davidson aaron hates just a strong word you very much dislike his acting ability or just not like his inability look i hate the yankees okay i i hate the yankees i hate um i hate adolf hitler like there's hate is such a strong word notice how i mentioned the yankees and hitler in the same (laughs) paragraph there i just i i like he serves his purpose on Saturday Night Live, he has a little niche on Saturday Night Live. Does he? Where, though? I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen him as in a sketch where he as was a character. Like, yeah, like well, I mean, like he comes in and he's like the guy in the back, and every sketch I've ever seen him as he does those uh, he does those uh, videos where you ever seen where he's like, okay, 
huh? No, yeah. I mean, I, I would cool. say, I would say he is, um, he's in that same conversation um, as Andy Samberg, I think. I don't think Samberg was a very good, like, except no. for when, apparently when Justin Timberlake came on and because they're buddies, he was like the funniest he's ever been. But Samberg's good at the media side of comedy on SNL. Yeah. Um, I think he's in that realm. I, think he's I still a think mixture. Samberg's way better. He's a mixture of Samberg and Fallon. Yeah. Like Fallon never did character. Fallon was always Fallon. Yeah. And, you know, he always broke character too, which always pissed me off. But like, like, I think he's a good mixture of that. I, I don't hate him. I just, you know, so going into that, I was very pleasantly surprised with the way he did this movie. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll, I'll admit, I will I'll admit that the first one to admit that I was wrong. He he did a very good job in this movie. And it, it was kind of after reading about it some last night, it was it sounds like it was a bit of a passion project for him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it was semi biographical, you know, to yeah. some extent because of his um, his dad being a firefighter and dying in the in 9-11. Um, you know, so they, they changed a bit of that. But his character was named Scott. His dad's name was Scott. So like you've got a lot of the plot that kind of goes between he lived with his mom which he does in real life you know like so you've got a lot of biographies yeah so elements. he's been very open about his uh mental disorders and yeah. the things that he suffers from on saturday Night live and on tv and and it's this you know they it's one of the key points of this movie yeah i, w- I will say i think he needs to be very careful um that he doesn't get stuck in a fuck up who needs to figure out his life role because he seems to be that a lot. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm looking at the movies that he's done um, and the ones that he's had a larger role in, um, there's not been many. You know, he's just getting started, but his, his most recent two, Big Time Adolescence, which was on Hulu, um, and King of Staten Island, there's not a whole lot of difference in the character. I mean, you have a different redemption story, but you, you still have a guy who's doing a lot of drugs, doing a lot of drinking a lot you know uh yeah. smoking a lot of weed and gets involved in things they're not supposed to has to realize you know what they're doing before it's too late and then you know they're gonna work it's gonna be hard but they're gonna they're gonna be a better person this i mean zeke and scott zeke from big time adolescence and scott from king of staten island they're almost the same character and yeah. so i i think he needs to be careful granted he's not going to listen to this I'm sure he probably knows that he has a role. And if he, people keep paying him, hell, Brett Favre, he, he's got to well, keep making I mean, those we'll, movies. We'll see because he's supposed to be in Suicide Squad too. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see if that translates, if he can bust out of that what that mold that he seems to be being cast in. We'll see if that he, he's able to do that in Suicide Squad too. Yeah. Um, I mean. I, I will say I think that Bill Burr saved this movie for me. Um, oh my god thank you for that is probably the thing that we're going to agree on the most within the first month of this podcast coming back (laughs) bill burr the rise of bill burr in the last 10 years has been oh absolutely he he is one of devin and mine's favorite comedians we went and saw him down in cincinnati way before he started getting big we have pictures taken with him i mean he is fantastic and he was in the he was fantastic in the mandalorian I love his show on Netflix. F is for family. Um, he he was great in Breaking Bad when he was on there. Bill Burr saved this movie. Yeah, I mean Bill Burr for me, I was not into this movie at all until uh, Bill Burr came in. And I will say yeah. I think my favorite part of the movie is the last 
you know, third, the last act, um, when he is, he's acting as his kind of stand in dad mentor, um, at the firehouse. Um, I think that that's when I actually stopped hating, I mean, not hating the character, but I was so frustrated that every single time you saw Pete Davidson in this movie, he was just bitching about something. He was just upset and bitching about something. That's what, yeah, that's what Devin was saying about halfway through the movie. He's like, he's such an asshole. Yeah, and I kept, I kept half reminded. I was like, well, he he does have, he does have a disorder. <laughs> he has something mentally wrong with him. He had, he did suffer. He probably has PTSD from his dad dying. Like, you know, he's there's a lot of things. Yeah, he's such an like every time he's on screen, until he gets kicked out of the house. Every time he's on screen, he's an asshole. He's doing something assholeish. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I I finished the movie enjoying the arc i think it was good but i just it had a lot of him just being pissed off and just complaining um but seemingly trying to do things like for me the the moment when his uh his sister was asking um mom and uh, mom and and bill burr's character um you know are you getting married just kind of like you know just basic conversation and he's like yeah we're gonna go now um just was frustrating because he you could tell he was uncomfortable but he couldn't admit it and everybody knew he was just pissed it was just one of those things that like it and he served his purpose yeah but he didn't find it's like he didn't have an outlet to express the issues that he was having and then he found that outlet by going to the firehouse the one place that he probably avoided he avoided the entire his entire life yeah because of the memories of his dad, he found that outlet through those people at the firehouse. Yeah. And eventually Bill Burr, like, you know, I, it was, a, it was, a, and let's make sure this is, to me, this was not a comedy. This is no, a, I agree with you. This was a, a what do you want to call it, a drama or a dramedy? Um, there I, is a lot of, I think it, it fell into a dark comedy if you wanted to yeah. really stretch it into a comedy. Um, but yeah, it, comedy is not the first element I would use to describe this movie. No. But a very, very, from Judd Apatow's point of view, this is a very mature film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like this, this, this hit, this hits a lot of emotional things. This tackles a lot of serious subjects of of loss and and mental disorders and trying to find your way in life. Everybody goes through a point where they're trying to find what they're meant to do in life. Some faster than others. So if you're a 25 year old person living still living at your mom's house and you have no drive it's i mean it's just it's it it hits on the importance that i always try to hit onto my students is like you'll figure out what you want to do eventually don't feel like you have to graduate high school and know exactly what you're going to do for the rest of your life yeah uh so that wraps it up as far as his his um film his major films um before we get to our highs and lows the tops and bottoms of the uh of this profile um, want to just kind of honorable mention we've mentioned a lot of them throughout but again the films that he was involved with as a producer um, alone I think you know some of his highlights there um, the cable guy we mentioned Anchorman, Talladega Nights, Superbad, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Step Brothers, my absolute favorite comedy of all time, uh, Get Him to the Greek, uh, Bridesmaids another one of those films that he attached himself to and really showed um, you know the, which was big I mean, that, that changed the game for, for females in comedy, I think. Um, and then five-year engagement, a, an underrated one, um, kind of very similar in the same vein as uh, This is 40 and Funny People, um, kind of trying to be 
a, a drama a comedy, um, but a really good breakout performance by Alison Brie in that. Um, and then Anchorman 2 and The Big Six. So he has been involved in a lot of great movies just because he hasn't written or uh, directed. I think he's helped push uh, some great comedies uh, over the past 20 years. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, I would probably say, uh, I mean, especially in Cable Guy, you saw a lot of that comedy that would seep out into like Freaks and Geeks and things like that. That would mm. be so for me, it's probably Cable Guy um, that, you know, I mean, even even though at the time I didn't know he was looking back now at it now, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just, that's I could see Judd Apatow in that. Yeah, I mean, that was one of his very first that he yeah. had an involvement with outside of heavyweights. Um, and then you've got like but small, c- small TV things that he had been doing, but you're not going to see credits of that until. But there's a later. there's a trend of him doing these things that are not well received right off the bat, but then getting this cult following, you know, all the time. You had it with Cable Guy, you had it with Freaks and Geeks undeclared. Like you had these things that are immensely popular amongst critics. I'd even say Pineapple a, a Express falls falls into that yeah it didn't i mean people like that movie after it came out on dvd way more than they liked it in the theaters yeah so um okay so what what were your highs of of his so far profiled career uh my number two would probably be train wreck it's just a really good movie um really really funny maybe the very close to being the funniest baby and my number one's 40-Year-Old Virgin, the the OG. I mean, it's one of those movies that if it's on TV, it, no matter what part it's at, I can stop what I'm doing and watch it and just pick it right up and go. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those movies that, and even if I've seen it 50, 100 times, it's like, oh, but with that one part's getting ready to come up, I'm going to sit here and watch this part. You know, it's just one of those movies. Yeah, my, uh, my number two is Knocked Up. Um I got a lot of love for that one. It's probably going to be in your lows. I have this this feeling, uh, but maybe not. Um, and then my number one is also 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, you can't beat the original. Um, it's kind of like, you know, we've mentioned The Hangover a couple times today um, as kind of, as a reference point. And I think it's very similar to that. Um, you can try to change things up, but the, the, the way it was done the first time was I mean, groundbreaking for comedy. Um, it was a one of a kind. It really changed the way that people looked at this type of comedy. Kind of, I think, created a, a little subgenre of comedy. You know, you can kind of look at a movie now and has this Apatow feel to it. So, um, and I agree. You know, there there's not a single scene in that movie that you wouldn't just watch for a couple minutes to get a couple laughs. I mean, it's continuity's sake and, and plot you might miss, but you're gonna laugh. It's funny. So, great dialogue, great movie. Um, and then your lows. What were some of your uh, your worst yeah. of his career? Uh, I would say number two for me was just knocked up. I just I I, I didn't. I mean, maybe I maybe I need to go rewatch it now. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, it all the way through. Maybe it's something I just need to sit down. Uh, number t- one for me was actually going with the screenwriting of Fun with Dick and Jane. Mm. I almost put this is forty in there. But I just, I think it's like you have Jim Carrey. He's still a hot commodity. He still knows how to make people laugh. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of things wrong with that film. He That would have been in mine, um, but I wanted to, uh, I, I gave him the credit that he, he wrote for it, and I didn't know to what extent he finished that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dick and Jane, fun with Dick and Jane is not a good movie. Uh, my number two is actually Heavyweights. 
Uh, I don't think it's a good movie. I, I mean, I, I enjoy watching it, but if we're going on what... So you're, it's just a nostalgic, it's just a nostalgia hit for you. Yes, I enjoy watching it because I watched it when I was a kid and Ben Stiller's performance is great. And it's, it's funny, but it's not good. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of one of those movies that you sit and you're like, why did I like this? You know, there's a couple scenes that you get some laughs, but you look back and you're like, you just, you can't put your finger on it. You're like, this is not very good. Um, and I watched Heavyweights recently with Disney Plus. I was like, oh yeah, let's watch Heavyweights again. I watched it. I'm like, oh, this wasn't very good. Um, but then my, my number one of the, the lows, the, the worst of the worst is This Is 40. Um, for me, that yeah. was when you said that, I was like, yeah, yeah we're agreeing there. Um, or almost agreeing. I just think that they missed the mark. They tried to turn a, a raunchy comedy into a drama um, while still holding on to it. And in that time period, it just wasn't going to work. And when you have the actors around you that you do, that the cast that you have going into This Is 40, you just need to lean into it and make it what it should have been. And I will say, I mean, you're not going to, people are probably going to say, well, yeah, but didn't he talk, didn't they talk about like, you know, like loose buttholes and like really raunchy stuff. I'm like, yes, they absolutely did. But if you try to, if you sit through that whole movie, you were, you're sitting through a, you know, a marriage that seems to be falling apart. You see some very dramatic instances rather than the comedic elements that you saw in Knocked Up. So that's why. I, I don't think that movie, I don't think that movie knew who its audience was. That's like, true. Are we, are we talking to people that are going through this right now? Or are we talking to the people that, like pineapple express or 40 old virgin or knocked up like who who was the who were they making that movie for for well and it's weird you can't it's have a dissolve like you said you can't have a dissolving marriage and then talk about loose buttholes like it's like i mean yeah it's it, can't do that <laughs> not no. in the movie you know expecting what you're gonna get i think it's just placed in an odd position though because it comes after funny people which is very much a dark comedy um but then it's based off of Knocked Up, which is very much just a straightforward, raunchy comedy. Um, and so I think maybe people who didn't like funny people were like, okay, here we go. He's going back to what he did with Knocked Up and 40-Year-Old Virgin. And it was funny, but it just didn't have the kick that I think many people expected. So maybe just falling short of expectations is why it's so short or uh, low on my list. So I agree. Um, all right. So that's about it for this week. Uh, I know we probably went a few minutes over. It's the first time doing a profile though um, and quite a, quite a storied career. So this will be a good learning experience next time we do a profile. Uh, but next week we do have a really, uh, you know, very unique opportunity. Uh, so Ben, I'm gonna let you, you talk about this. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give too much away because I want to make sure the audience comes back. But tomorrow we're gonna do a, a drive-in first. We're gonna actually do a uh, uh, interview on the podcast. We're going to interview somebody that has uh, had quite a bit of experience in the art of filmmaking um, and in Hollywood. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a nice interview with them. It's a friend of mine from college that has went on to have success in films. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit of a tease, he's um, he's been in and done work with the John Wick movies he's done uh work with just the the one of the top rated netflix movies in the past couple of months with extraction with chris hemsworth um he he has a very long list of uh, imdb page so we're gonna sit down with this person next week just so you know it's not keanu reeves so just just hold we're not quite there yet damn it yeah i'm sorry 
I think Aaron thought that was who it was too. Um, it's not Keanu Reeves, um, but uh, it's he. Uh, he does a lot of work in stunts, so it's a different aspect that I feel like a lot of people on podcasts and 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 things don't talk about is the hard work that stunt people do. Yeah, and it's a side um, that I'm very interested to learn about. Yeah, so it's something. It's very uh, underappreciated. Uh, part of filmmaking but a much needed part of filmmaking because it's what makes the movies look good um, so we're going to do that next week with a first time ever a drive-in um, double feature uh, one-on-one interview two-on-one it, interview. and that and that reminds me too um, those of you who are out there listening if you have any interest in um, being a, a guest host that is something that we still are looking forward uh, looking for in the future. Um, you know, you've seen now we're two episodes in and our, our format changes weekly. Uh, we've got an interview next week. And so, um, you know, three episodes in and we got three different styles of, of show. Um, so we're going to keep it different. We are looking to, to review a show here soon. Yeah, um, so that's on the any, horizon. If there's anything that is coming out that uh, everybody would like to hear, or if you'd like to do a guest spot, let us know. Um, we are on Twitter at, um, at well i gotta look it up here because we haven't actually released yet so i have to look and see uh we're on facebook though if you actually search our um our facebook search on facebook sorry because i'm doing two things at once um for uh, drive-in double feature you will see our facebook page um and then i am pulling up our twitter here um if you go on twitter and uh you go to drive-in double feature um, you will find us there as well. So um, let us know what you thought about the episode. What are your favorite uh, and least favorite Judd Apatow movies? Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it. Anything else from you, Ben? What are you watching this week, Aaron? Oh, this week, man, I've been, I've been binging. It's kind of at that point in the summer where I'm not wanting to go back and I'm like, oh, I've done nothing with the summer. I mean, as far as movies go, um, because I haven't gone to any theater movies because they haven't existed this year. Um, but I'm probably going to try and, and knock a few things off of my Netflix um, queue. Uh, I just watched Molly's Game today, Molly's Game and Uncut Gems. So two really good movies there. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm going to try. I need to watch Extraction. I, I started it uh, back a couple of weeks ago and then got sidetracked. So that is definitely one I will be watching. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely am going to try and knock a couple things off the queue. What about you? I am looking for nostalgic movies to show a six-year-old uh so i I was kind of going through my netflix and stuff today and amazon prime to kind of look for things so i got never ending story on there i got gremlins um i'm just looking for some things i think my right now my wife's reading him witches okay so as soon as they're done with that book we're gonna watch the angelica houston film version of witches see if that's not too scary for him so I'm just right now, I'm just looking for some nostalgic stuff to show a six-year-old, see if he likes it or not. Yeah, I mean, I I would tell you Homeward Bound, but that might traumatize that'll, him. That'll make him cry. Uh, I mean, Jordan has banned that movie from our house, so especially in front of the dog. But I loved that movie. If you were to ask me oh, no, yeah, my yeah. number one nostalgic movie, it's going to be that followed closely by We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, which is that, also very dark. That scene where the cat and the dog come up over the hill and you're just waiting for that golden retriever to come Shadow. and you're like, where is it? Where is it? And, it come, and you're like, oh, fuck, it died. And all of a sudden, limping over the hill, you're like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah, uh, the, the scene where he tells uh, the other two just to go, leave him, 
like that that's a scene that that will break down the utmost more most powerful well together mentally uh people like they just there's no way you can keep it together there no way so it's yeah, sad. It's, yeah. sad movie yeah, we gotta, we're gonna wait on that one we're gonna it ends to... well but you it know does, traumatizes but... you along the way just don't leave your animals with some dumbass that leaves a gate unlocked. And I mean, there's plot holes all over that yeah. movie, but I mean, we're not going to focus on that. Yes. <laughs> um, Maybe that could be a category. We pick a movie and find all the fucking plot holes. Yeah, we should probably like let's do. Uh, I mean, anything anything younger would definitely yeah. anything for kids. Um, speaking of younger, um, not necessarily because it's meant for kids, but it has a, a child uh, lead actor there. Uh, I watched Raising Dion this week, and it was phenomenal. So if you guys have not gone out and watched Raising Dion, it's on Netflix. Um, take the time. I could not stop watching it. I started it on a Saturday and finished it on a Sunday. Um, very well done. So. All right. Um, until next time, guys, uh, I think I'm going to bring it back. Drive home safe.